Our first scripture reading is from the Acts of the Apostles in the 16th chapter, verses 9 through 15. Listen now for the word of the Lord. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, he immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we, were suppo- where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Our psalm is the 67th. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere him. From the 21st chapter of the Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, 
the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all the saints. Amen. From the Gospel of John, in the 14th chapter, verses 23 to 29. Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, that the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the Reformed confessional tradition, we have a number of confessions that we employ that help to guide us along in our faith. The two most ancient are the Apostles' Creed, with which we are most familiar, and the Nicene Creed, which is kind of a four times as long version of the Apostles' Creed that likes to embellish upon embellish upon embellish. In the Nicene Creed, it speaks of Jesus as true light from true light. Now, in the beginning, we all know God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God separated the light from the darkness. 
And ever since then, light and dark have coexisted in our world. We speak of God in terms of true light, because quite frankly, the dark scares us. The things that we fear come out in the dark, or maybe we just imagine that they do because we can't see them coming. That fear is a very powerful drive in our lives, including in our lives of faith. Fear tends to run so much of our decision-making, not only in the church, but in the rest of our lives as well. And yet, we are reminded time and again in our scriptures and in our confessions that God said, let there be light. In Revelation, John speaks of the things that give us light going away. There will be no sun, there will be no moon. But they fade away to make room for the light of God. After all, with the light of God, we have no need for other sources of light. Before God, all darkness is driven away. And consequently, fears and sorrows and griefs and all things that are to be feared are likewise driven away before the Lord. And thus, in this world where there is no more fear, we are invited into constant contemplation of God and the Lamb. Throughout the entire book of Revelation, we pause time and again to simply be in God's throne room, bathed in light, hearing the voices and the songs of all the angels and the archangels, the seraphim and the cherubim. We are invited, even as the book recounts the things that are true in our world, violence, pestilence, destruction, war, even in the midst of that, we are invited time and again to stop and pause in God's throne room and remember that behind the veil, God is at work. God's merciful justice rules from on high. That can be hard for us to balance, given what we know of the world. As the theologians tell us, we are in the already and not yet, as Paul describes time and time again, as Jesus announces that the kingdom of God is at hand, even though, even though, we may not be there yet, but we are there already. Revelation also clears up some of our more fantastic notions about what comes with the end of days. Popular contemporary imagination has imagined that all of God's true disciples will just one day disappear in a blink of an eye and they will be in heaven with God and the rest of what's left over can just burn. 
that's not what we read this morning. We read that indeed God is enthroned on high. We might even imagine that as somewhere on a gilded cloud. But Revelation and other examples of what we call apocalyptic literature isn't so concerned with some otherworldly place beyond the clouds. Because that place and our place are destined to be united, not separated for all time. The new Jerusalem descends from heaven to earth, and God makes God's home here. Now, Revelation does not eschew the world we live in for the world God lives in. Because for John, who brought us this revelation, those worlds are one and the same. Even now, God lives and moves among us here. And the new Jerusalem will descend to earth, and God will make God's home among human beings. Jesus, too, speaks in these terms, though perhaps with a little less grandeur, fewer 50-cent words, less stunning imagery. God's abode, which Jesus describes, is much humbler than a gleaming city descending from heaven. God's abode is the human heart. When we keep Jesus' commandments, we're keeping God's commandments. We are proclaiming our love for God and for the Lamb and making a place, inviting God to be right at home in our own hearts. Now, in ancient days when the writers of the Gospels and the Epistles and Revelation, when they were writing, the heart was considered the seat of thought rather than emotion. But the metaphor still works today. Because whether by thought or feeling, if God is in our hearts, our actions show it. We may not be cognizant of it, but each of us is born with a small, empty space in our hearts. A space just reserved for God. By keeping God's commandments, we are setting out the tea service and preparing that space for God to move right on in. And with God making God's home within us, our perceptions and actions change. And we no longer think in terms about what's best for us at the expense of others. We no longer jealously guard our own affections because we might get hurt. We begin to do things that don't make sense according to the world's rules. Because it's no longer the world's rules that we are following. When God has been invited into that space, reserved and made just for God, we become aware of God. We become aware of God moving in us, in the world around us. Because that's what happens when God moves in. You find yourself hyper aware of God and in all things see God 
hear, feel, smell, taste, and sense God. John Calvin tells us that even nature itself proclaims God's glory to those who are aware of God. And as the great prophet Fred Rogers tells us, in the midst of the world's disasters, God is there in the helpers. The Holy Spirit moves us and teaches us what to look for, teaches us how to see God in all of these things. Jesus spent his entire teaching career pointing beyond himself and this world to God. But Jesus knew that he would not always be physically present to be able to do that, and knew that we would need someone helping us throughout time to remember what he taught, to remember what he showed us about who and what God is. His gift of the Holy Spirit is that guide, that teacher, that advocate. Through the Spirit, we may continue to see God beyond the end of our own noses. Through the Spirit, we are guided in the paths that will lead God into our own hearts. Through the Spirit, we will see and experience the world in a different way almost as the breath before something wonderful happens. And the Spirit will bring us into new chapters in our lives that we maybe never imagined. Throughout the Acts of the Apostles, and particularly with Paul, the Holy Spirit is heavily involved. Our reading this morning sent Paul on an unexpected trip to Macedonia, of all places, before this, he'd been working in Asia Minor. Now he's going to Europe. My sister of the cloth, Reverend Barnes, who preached for us a few weeks ago, heard the same spirit that told Paul to go to Macedonia when it whispered to her to leave the place where she had been working for the Lord and bring the gospel and show the love of Christ in Africa. We all have these spirit calls. They may be somewhat less dramatic, but they are there nonetheless. Our role is to listen and to obey. We have a good example of that in Lydia. A God-fearing woman, though not a Jew, wealthy, and in the Roman world, didn't really need the God of Israel. She was doing just fine by herself, thank you very much. But the Spirit called to her, and she heard it and obeyed, received the gospel and baptism, opened her heart that God might come and dwell within it. And she recognized that with her baptism, privilege comes, but so does responsibility. 
We tend to overlook that part. We assume that baptism grants us the privileges of the church, things like access to pastoral care and fellowship with one another. But it also grants responsibility, which many of us more often than not conveniently ignore. But not Lydia. She recognized immediately her call to offer hospitality to these men who had come and opened her heart to the indwelling of God. Neither Paul nor Lydia could have expected where the Spirit was going to lead them next. I imagine not many of us can expect it either. Just when we know what we're doing and what our future is going to look like, the Spirit intervenes. Sometimes it just makes us work harder at life. Sometimes it simply illumines the places where God is at work. Sometimes it picks you up and sets you down in a completely new place, even if only metaphorically. But then we are comforted once again by that wonderful phrase, do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them fear. In the course of the Old and New Testaments, we have 365 occurrences of that phrase. One for every day of the year. Fear not. Do not fear. Be unafraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because we have the Spirit. Because heaven and earth are no longer discreet and disparate places separated by eternity. Because just as God once separated light and dark, God also separated the heavens and the earth. And God brings light and dark back together, bringing the heavens and the earth back together. No rapture where we're whisked away to a completely new place. There's only heaven drawing near to earth so that God may truly reign in heaven and on earth, just as we pray each Sunday may come to pass. Revelation was written in a world very different from ours and yet not so different at all. It was written in the midst of violent oppression. And perhaps we can find some comfort in the fact that John did not deny the cruelties and vagaries of the world. But John did see beyond them and invites us to see beyond what we know as reality today to God's reality. As John reveals his own vision to us, he pulls back the curtain just enough for us to see the mighty, light-filled grandeur of God, that God's merciful judgment reigns, that it's happening right now, though we maybe can't quite clearly perceive it, that beyond this violent, oppressive, predatory world, there is something else happening the kingdom of God. And we are left in the epitome of the already but not yet, 
but it is a place that we know well. And every now and then we pause and we pull back the curtain. Every time we see someone being fed or clothed or healed, every time we see the masses lifting their voices so that the voiceless may speak, every time we see human beings recognizing the brother and sisterhood of humanity stepping in to defend the defenseless, when we see so-called eco-warriors taking seriously their commission to be stewards of God's good and beautiful creation, the same creation that reveals God to us in myriad ways. In those moments, we see that God's merciful justice does indeed reign, even if we can only see it in the cracks of the thin places through the folds of the veil. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because even in the midst of a dreadful world where the violent and want and disease and discrimination and exploitation are the rules by which we play, God reigns. Even now, even not yet. And heaven and earth will become one, inseparable. There is hope in the light that shines even in the dark, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And in the time between, we have the Holy Spirit to teach and guide us, to advocate for us, to comfort us, to lead us sometimes into wonderful new paths we've never imagined. The presence of God and of the Lamb, we are promised, will ensure abundance of life and joy and be our light. For the glory of God, this day and always. Amen.